Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Family Life Canada podcast. We're Neil and Cheryl Josephson, and we're the National Directors of Family Life Canada. And in our work, we get to talk to thousands of couples across this country, and usually that's face-to-face, but hey, today it's all digital, right? Mm-hmm. And we're hearing what real life is like for all for us today, huh? As couples and as families, mm-hmm. in this season of self-isolation and sheltering in place, it's it's an interesting day. Yeah, one woman told me she's either going to kill her husband in the next couple of weeks or she's going to get pregnant. One one, one or the other is going to happen, she said. <laughs> but it pretty much captures the range of things we're experiencing, doesn't it? There's opportunity for greater intimacy than ever before, but there's also opportunity for a lot of conflict. So we're bringing in one of the best, mm. wisest people we know to help us figure this out. We're super grateful to have time to talk with Dr. Gary Chapman. And if you've ever had the chance to read some of his books or or listen to him teach, and both Cheryl and I have, you'll understand why he's the person we called first when we launched this Family Life Canada podcast. In crises, in days like we're experiencing right now, we want to hear from people we trust, don't we? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to marriage and family, Cheryl and I trust Dr. Chapman more than anybody we know. Yeah. So welcome, Dr. Chapman. You're wise, you're kind, you're a counselor, you're a pastor. You've written some of the best books, most helpful books for marriages and couples, including The Five Love Languages, Four Seasons of Marriage, and Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away, except you Mm. can't walk away these days. So that's an interesting (laughs) book title. That's tough. (laughs) First of all, before we ask you too many things, are you well? Are you, Carolyn, the children, the grandchildren, you're all well? Yes, we are doing well. Carolyn and I, of course, are empty nesters now, and our grandkids uh, live in South Carolina. We live in North Carolina. Uh, They're both in college now, but they're home, and they're Mm. doing college work online, as all the rest of students around the country, uh, my country and your country are doing. So, But yeah, we're all well. Good, good, good. Well, it's pretty easy to recognize the challenges of these days for families. But um, are there some opportunities in this season for couples and for families as well? You know, I think that's the way we ought to be thinking is what are the opportunities that we have now that we didn't have going to jobs and work and school and all that sports and everything else, because now all those things are gone. So there's time that we were spending doing those things that we can now spend doing other things. So I think it's a wonderful time for uh, uh, families to do things uh, that they maybe have wanted to do for a long time. I know they can't go out, but, you know, depending on the age of the children, you know, we can build castles. (laughs) We can build Mm -hmm. uh, tents. You know, we can go out in the yard if you have a yard (laughs) and uh, swing and walk and as long as you stay away from people. So there's uh, lots of good things that we can do. And it also is a good time to read books with Mm -hmm. children or without children. A good time to read Mm. books. And I suggest that couples set some time for actually reading. We don't have to sit there and look at each other all the time or watch television all the time. We can just close that down and each of us can read a book separately or we can read a book together. We can read books to the children. Uh, you know, I was uh, driving through uh, South Carolina some time ago. There's a billboard that said, children who read live happily ever after. <laughs> wow, that's a great <laughs> phrase. Yeah. But we good. do know that children that learn to read and take, take it seriously, uh, mentally, they develop in a, in a much healthier manner. And books can take them all over the world. Mm-hmm. So maybe because I write books, I like for people to read books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, well, you're, you're talking my love language. I know that's not an official love language, but I used to be a high school English teacher. And I used to have this quote up on my wall. It said, the poorest person in the world is the person limited to their own experience, the one who yeah. does not read. Yeah. And when you yeah. read, you can just learn you from know, others. Family, that's right. In a family, if we do take time to read, then we can discuss the things we're reading with each yeah. other. And it can open up really conversations. You know, I think uh, one of the worst things we can do during this time is simply to let, if we have children, let them spend all their time watching the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that I mean, sometime, yeah, sometime is fine. Sure. And certainly the schoolwork, we're going to be on screen with the schoolwork and uh, and having some other time to play video games, but not not all the free time. Let's use the time to do something worthwhile with the children. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this question then. Uh, this We hadn't planned to talk about this, but what what are the potential downsides for kids who, who have a lot of screen, excessive screen time? Yeah. I think what happens, they get addicted to the screen. You know, if a teenager spends all of their free time playing video games, they will carry that into adulthood. And after they get married, that's not going to foster a good marriage. <laughs> so, you know, the whole thing with children, I think, or at least one of the important things, is rhythm and structure. Here's a time to do watch TV. There's a time to play video games. There's a time to read. There's a time to work in the yard or do other chores that, that are associated with whatever home you live in. Uh, and we have we structure. And if we structure life for children, the children fare much better in life. Mm. So even in this chaotic time, we should provide those structures. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I think it really should be easier to do during this time because Mm -hmm. we have more, quote, free time uh, that we didn't have before. And there are certain things we can't do that we could do earlier that were good for children, like playing sports and that sort of thing. But you can still do some of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have a backyard, you can still do some of that. You just can't go to sporting events. But uh, I think uh, a time to play is always, children always need a time to play and we can help them create games that maybe they've never heard of that we played when we were children. (laughs) And after all, parents are older than children (laughs) and likely we have more ideas. (laughs) Yeah, we should. That's great. Hey, I want to turn the conversation a little bit to the five love languages, which, of course, is this fantastic book almost 30 years ago, huh? That's Yeah, wild. 27, 28 years. Yeah, right. So I, I got a few questions to ask you, but one of them is this. Has this turned out far more influential than you would have ever dreamed? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I knew that I knew the concept what would help people because I had been using it in my counseling for probably five years before I wrote the book. But I had no idea. It's now sold over 13 million copies in English. Mm. It's been translated and published over 50 languages around the world. And many, many couples say to me when I'm speaking and have conferences, which I'm not having right now, but when I do, they say, you know, that book saved our marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were really thinking divorce. And we read that book and the lights came on. You know, we've heard that too. Yeah. Realized how we've missed each other. And so we took the quiz, we learned each other's language, we started speaking it, and it really saved our marriage. You know, I think a part of the reason for that is... Put Sherilyn... Say that. I'm so sorry, we're getting a little lag on the Wi-Fi today. Please go ahead. Yeah, I think that one of the reasons for that 
is that our deepest emotional need on the human level is the need to feel loved by the significant mm -hmm. people in our lives. And if you're married, that's your spouse. If you have children, that's the child-parent relationship. Yeah. So right. in family relationships, as well as other relationships, if we can learn to love effectively and thus meet the emotional need of the other person for love, we're creating the best possible emotional climate for both marriage and children. Fantastic. Count Cheryl and I is among the couples who've really been blessed by it and try to live by it. And uh, when we work with younger couples, we tell them you shouldn't even get married till you've read this book, till you've started to understand the partner's love language. But listen, if anybody's listening and you haven't read the book, please check it out. You can go online. There's a short assessment that'll start you thinking about this. Uh, we have it up on uh, familylifecanada.live. Uh, you can get it on five love languages. But know this concept. If you haven't taken the assessment, do it. Hey, here's a question one of our Facebook followers sent in, uh, Dr. Chapman, and it's this. Can our love languages change over time? You know, I think, Neil, uh, typically uh, our love language stays with us for a lifetime, like many other personality traits. But having said that, I think there may be seasons of life in which another love language may jump to the top. For example, mm. a mother that has two or three preschool children, acts of service may not be her primary love language, but I can tell you during those years, it's probably going to be number one for her because mm -hmm. she's overwhelmed. Uh, and then I think also, if your number one and number two are very, very close, and sometimes they are, if you get enough of number one, you may begin to think, I don't know, I think number two has become number one. But if they stop uh, doing number one, you'll quickly mm -hmm. say, oh, no, 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 that's still my primary. <laughs> Understood. How about our children, Dr. Chapman? How do we discern their love language? And, and does that mature and change as they mature and change? Yeah, you know, I think you can discover a child's love language by the time they're four years old by observing their behavior. How do they respond to you? Uh, our son's love language is uh, physical touch. When he was that age, when I would come home from work, he would run to the door, grab my leg and climb on me. He's <laughs> touching me because he wants to be touched. <laughs> yeah. Our daughter yeah. never did that. She would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted quality time, my undivided attention. They're grown now. Both of them married. And our, our, our daughter has uh, grandchildren for us. Uh, but their love language is still physical touch and quality time. Mm. Yeah. Are there some principles in the in the five love languages that we should really latch on to, particularly in these days of sheltering and isolation? I think so. You know, if we're going to make the most of this time, then we need to have a loving atmosphere in which to do everything that we're doing. If a husband and wife, for example, are meeting each other's need for love, they're speaking consistently each other's love language, they're likely going to make this a really good time for the two of them. And if they know the children's love language and the children have the concept, if they're old enough, they have the concept. Daddy has a love language. Mama has a love language. Sister has a love language. And we're all keeping it on the front burner and we're communicating love to each other. Then we have created an atmosphere in which we can do the kind of things we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. So I think during this time, 
it's exceedingly important. And, and really what will happen in this time will largely be determined on whether we created a loving atmosphere or whether we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be honest, we're hearing a lot of uh, comments from couples who aren't experiencing a lot of love in their homes right now. There's a lot of tension. Right. There's a lot right. of conflict. Can you talk to us a little bit about anger for a few, for a few minutes? You've written a whole book on it, but, but um, yeah. how, how do we manage that conflict? How do we keep that anger? And, and I guess the other question keep that anger under wraps. And then I guess the other question is, is there a link between anger and fear? And is that maybe why we're seeing more outbursts of anger these days? Yeah, that could be, you know, no question about it. Uh, there are many couples who before the crisis started did not have a close loving relationship. Maybe they were arguing with each other or maybe they were just uh, being roommates and being cordial to each other, but they didn't have a loving relationship. Well, you take that couple and bring them into this crisis and now they're thrown together yeah. mm-hmm. and whatever's there is going to come out. And so if they are angry over the past and they have built walls between them emotionally because they have done things that stimulated that, then they're going to have a very difficult time. And that's why I think during this time, those kind of couples will either, you know, lash out at each other in anger or they will hold it inside and then have an explosion down the road. And uh, many of them are going to begin to think we're not compatible. And when this thing is over, I'm going to get out of here. You know, one of the things I say is this. By nature, if we have a problem in a marital relationship or any relationship, in our mind, the problem is with the other person. Hmm. You know, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't treat me fairly. Anger is the emotion that rises inside of us when we feel like we've been wrong. And so if we don't deal with that anger in a positive way, when it happens, we store that anger inside. And when we keep storing anger inside, we set ourselves up for an explosion. Mm-hmm. And that's when couples will go mm-hmm. maybe uh, just not talking to each other for a while. And then something comes up and then one of them explodes verbally or physically on the other person. So uh, learning how to handle anger. Anger is not our enemy. Anger is really a friend. You you know, the Bible says God is angry every day with the wicked. Hmm. And we're made in God's image. Our anger grows out of a sense of justice. As humans, we have a sense of justice. Things should be done right, should be done correctly. And when we encounter what we consider to be injustice, we have this emotion of anger. Now, I think we have two kinds of anger. It's important to understand that. Uh, Sometimes we have been wronged, but sometimes we get angry because we didn't get our way. Mm -hmm. And in our mind, Mm -hmm. they should be doing it our way. And I call that distorted anger. Uh, For example, I remember in the early days of our marriage, I got angry with Carolyn over the way she wrote it. I got angry with Carolyn, my wife, on the way she loaded the dishwasher. (laughs) You know, I'm organized. I believe there's a place for everything in the dishwasher and everything will get clean. Nothing will get broken. You know, (laughs) my wife loaded the dishwasher like she's playing Frisbee, you know. (laughs) 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 Was it wrong for her to load the dishwasher that way? No, it was not wrong. It didn't meet my expectations, but it was not morally wrong. Mm -hmm. And so either way, whether it's definitive or distorted, 
The answer is we need to, we need to process the anger. And that's right. why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And now I guess, I guess if you get angry after dark, we give you till midnight. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the principle okay. is we should process it. And that means we go to the person and say, you know, honey, maybe I misunderstood this. Maybe I'm totally misreading this, but in my mind, what you did was wrong and it really did hurt me. And I'm feeling angry right now. So yeah. can you explain it to me and give them a chance to explain? And maybe you'll find out you did read it wrongly. You did hear it wrongly. Uh, you did sure. read something into it that was not in their heart. Or maybe they will say, you know, you're right. I was wrong. So will you forgive me? So either way, uh, whether it's definitive anger or distorted anger, we have to process the anger in a positive way. Great, great words. Thank you. And I want to hitchhike on that and talk about uh, forgiveness, because when we do experience anger and maybe it's been inappropriate or I've expressed it the wrong way, like anger can be a friend, but the way I did it wasn't helpful, then I need to practice forgiveness. And then you've written a book uh, on apologies what wisdom do you have for us? Okay, I've blown it. I didn't do it the right way. I recognize that. How, how do I start to mend it with forgiveness and apology? Yeah, I, th I think you're exactly right. If I lose my temper, that's what we typically say, I lost my temper and I said things that were harsh and mean to you, then I'm the one has, that has done wrong. Because the biblical pattern is be kind to one another. Yelling and screaming at one another is not kind. I have done something morally wrong. So I need to go and apologize for that. And, uh, you know, apologizing has to do with several things. Uh, typically, we learn how to apologize when we're children. You know, our mother sees us and we push our little sister down the stairs. And our mother says, don't do that, Johnny. Go tell your sister you're sorry. So little Johnny says, I'm sorry, even if he's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> And so he's 23 now. He's married. If he needs to apologize, what will he say? I'm sorry. But you see, other she may have had a different mother and dad. They taught her something else. What we discovered is there's five different ways that people typically apologize. And typically a husband and wife has a different idea of what it means to apologize. And really what we're asking in our mind, if someone's apologizing to us, we're asking ourselves, are they sincere? Because mm -hmm. if we judge them to be sincere, it's easier to forgive. So he says, I'm sorry. And she's thinking, you certainly are. You know, is there anything else you want to say? He <laughs> thinks he's apologized. She thinks he's giving a character report. So here's what we found. One way to apologize is expressing regret, often with the words, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, But don't just stop with, I'm sorry. Tell them what you're sorry for. I'm sorry that I lost my temper right. and yelled at you. A second way is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. I should not have done that. No excuse for that. And for some people, this is what they're waiting to hear because that's what they judge to be sincere. And then another one is offering to make things right. Honey, I know I, know I did wrong. I know it hurt you. What can I do to make it right? I mean, I value our relationship. I want to make this right. And again, some people are waiting to hear that. And then a fourth one is actually uh, expressing the desire to change. You know, honey, I don't want to do that again. I know I did the same thing last month, mm -hmm. and I don't want to do that again. 
can you help me? Can we talk? Can we get a plan so I won't lose my temper like that again? I remember the wife with whom I shared this concept in a counseling setting. She said, Gary, I'll give you an example of that. She said, several years ago, when our kid was little, my husband was keeping the child while I was doing other things. The baby started crying. He did everything he could could to get the baby to stop crying. And he couldn't get the baby to stop crying. And he, he lost his temper, picked up our baby and started shaking our baby. And she said, I grabbed the baby and said, don't do that to our baby. And I went to the bedroom just weeping. She said, in about 10 minutes, he knocked on the door and asked me if he could come in. And he walked in and started crying. And he said, honey, I can't believe I did that. You know, I love our baby. I don't want to ever do that again. Can you help me? Can we talk? Can we get a plan that I won't do that again? Mm -hmm. She said, Gary, I sensed he was so sincere that I forgave him, even though what he did was horrible. She said, we sat there and talked, came up with a simple plan that if he ever felt himself about to lose his temper with our child, he would say to me, honey, I'm hot. I got to take a walk. And I would know what that meant. I'd let him take his walk. Then he'd come back in 30 minutes. He wouldn't walk all night. He'd come back in 30 minutes. Okay, honey, I think I'm under control. What can I do to help you? He'd plug back in. She said, Gary, that was eight years ago. He's never lost his temper with one of our children since. Mm-hmm. So he's taken quite a few walks, but never <laughs> lost his temper. So, you know, and then the very last way that people apologize is to say, would you please forgive me? Yeah. Or I hope you can find in your heart to forgive me. Right. And uh, those are the five things that we discovered that go into a sincere apology. But one of them will be more important to a particular person than another. It's kind of like not only do we have love languages, but we have apology languages. If we can learn these two things, how to love effectively and how to deal effectively with our failures, we're on the road to having a good relationship. Yeah. Boy, we are going to need those tools. Again, the people that write to us asking us for prayer, they're talking about their homes being tinderboxes and explosive. And I think there's a, you know, again, there's a lot of conflict, parents to child, spouse to spouse. And so these are super valuable, important principles that we're all going to have to dig deep. And that, that idea of, even if you can just go, go walk around the block, if you're, you're feeling um, overwhelmed, I think that's really great advice. I want to, I want to talk just briefly about um, how to stay emotionally connected. I know that you recommend, and I, we, Neil and I have practiced this, but just connecting for a few minutes every day, asking each other three things that happened to you today. How did you feel about them? Just so that we get past the sort of the logistic talk all the time that we actually yeah. try to try to find out what's going on in our, our spouse's heart. But these days, I know the 53 things that Neil has done all day because I was right there. I was, I, I can see everything he does. We're so physically proximate these days. We, we might be easy for us to become emotionally disconnected just because of that. And, and so what are some principles that we can practice to stay emotionally connected even while we're like right with each other all the time? Yeah. Well, I think uh, one thing, if you have children, the first step is to have a bedtime for the children. Mm. Put the children to bed, <laughs> establish the bedtime. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to sleep, but you do have to go in your room and get in bed. If you want to read a book, you can read a book till you fall asleep. Let that be early enough that mom and dad can have a little time after the kids are asleep to sit there and talk a few minutes with each other, just a daily sharing time. And yes, you know, as you said, I typically teach 
tell me three things that happened today in your life and how you feel about it. But you're right. We're there. We know what happened. So how about these questions? What if we say, honey, what did I do today that was most helpful for you? Give them a chance to say, okay. And then, and then they ask the same thing to you. And then you say, um, what could I do tomorrow that you think would be better or be more helpful than what I did today and give each other a chance to share that. So it's a positive thing. You know, you're, you're asking, what did I do? You know, that was helpful to you, but you're also accepting an idea on something you might do tomorrow that would make it easier for you. Or, and you could also add the other side to say, did I do anything today that really hurt you or disappointed you? Mm. They have a chance to share that. Okay. Well, then let me apologize for that because I certainly don't want to hurt you. You know, I certainly Mm -hmm. don't want to disappoint you. I want to be the husband or wife that you deserve. You know, that kind of conversation every night will keep you emotionally connected. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Neil and I had that exact same conversation last night. (laughs) It was a good one. I wasn't my best me yesterday. I'll be honest about that. So (laughs) we needed to talk it through. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I want to follow up on that and and put it together with a comment one of our Facebook followers sent in. uh, And this person was really, I think, heartbroken in that I'm trying to to do these connections. I, their feeling was, and of course, this is just their side, but their feeling was I'm working so hard and my partner's just content, doesn't want to work, doesn't want to change. So um, any encouragement, I realize this is a bit of an intractable situation, but say you're the one who says you want to have these conversations, you want to actually hear these emotionally relevant conversations, but your partner doesn't. Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, if the relationship has been fractured for a while, the most powerful thing you can do as an individual who would like to see things better is to just get along with God and say to God, Lord, you know what I live with and you know how hard it is. But I know that I'm not perfect. So what I want to know is where am I failing in this marriage? And let God bring to you those things. If there's something there, he will tell you. You don't have to beg him. (laughs) You write them down. You confess them to God and ask God to forgive you. Maybe your husband or wife is 95% of the problem and you're only 5%. Listen, none of us are perfect. So let's deal with our 5%. And then you go to your spouse after you've accepted God's forgiveness and you say, I've been thinking about us and I know I've been on your case a lot. But I asked God to show me where I've been failing you and he gave me some pretty good ideas. And I've asked God to forgive me. And if you've got a minute, I'd like to share these with you and ask you if you could forgive me. Mm -hmm. Wow. I can't promise you they'll forgive you all just at the moment. Uh, I don't know what they'll say or how they respond, but they're going to walk away and they're going to think, wow, that was different. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard that before. Mm -hmm. And then after you've done that, whether they forgive you or don't forgive you, you start speaking their love language. And you do it on a regular basis, not three weeks, not three months, six months. I say a six month experiment. See what happens over the six month period. Hmm. Chances are that person will begin to melt. And they'll begin to reach out to you. You know, the Bible says we love God because God first loved us. 
That principle works on the human plane. Uh, on the human plane, right, right. if one partner chooses to reach out in love, loving somebody who really doesn't deserve to be loved, and you do it in the right language, you touch their heart, and there's a good chance they're going to begin to reciprocate before the six months is over. So yeah. that's my suggestion: a six-month experiment, and see. You see, we can't change our spouse. Everybody says that. We know that, but we can influence our spouse. And there's nothing more powerful than love in the right language to influence a spouse in a positive way. So good. So good. Preach Thanks. It. That's good stuff. Yeah. One piece of the equation changes. The whole the whole equation changes. One, one more question, and then we're going to let you go, uh, Dr. Chapman. But we know you've written a book with Ron Deal. He's a yeah. friend of ours. Uh, the love languages for step or in in blended families. Uh, it's yeah. going to be such a great resource for so many many families. Just one piece of advice for blended families in this COVID crisis season, because they've got a few additional layers on top of their situation. I, any words of wisdom for them? Yeah, I'm excited about this book. It's called Building Love Together in Blended Families, the five mm -hmm. love languages uh, in, in a step family. Yeah, the, the added dynamic is this. You know, uh, couples get married, uh, whether they had gone through divorce or whether they had the death of a spouse, and they come into a second marriage, and one of them or both of them has children. Well, the two of them are in love. You know, they're just super, super excited about each other, and they want to have this wonderful family together. But the children, they're not there yet. They don't know who you are, and they don't know whether they want to be loved by you. So even if you know the stepchild's love language and you try it, they may push you away. Mm -hmm. Let's say their love language is physical touch, and you say to yourself, man, I've got this down. I'm going to go in there and hug them every day and hug them every day. So you hug them, and they push you away. Don't do that to me. And you think, what, what, what? I thought that was their love language. It probably is, but there's different levels of intimacy in all these love languages. And in that book, we talk about them. And you have to start on the lower level if you're a step parent. Hmm. For example, if physical touch is their language, maybe you're going to have to start with fist bumps hmm. and do that for a few weeks. High five. And then maybe you can give them a little pat on the back and they won't run away. It may be a year before they'll receive a hug and then respond to you in a hug. It takes time for them to get to know you. And, and remember this, they also may well have another mother or another father somewhere who left and they, they are attached to them. They're bonded to them, even though they may have mm -hmm. hurt them. They're bonded to them, but they're not bonded to you yet. So I think this book is going to help a lot of uh, parents in, uh, in, in, in blended families. Uh, learn how to apply the love languages and be patient with the child and the response. And if so, it, a family can blend, but it takes time to blend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like a crock pot. It takes time for the, the child to warm up to you. But this book, I think, is going to help a lot of couples in blended families. Yeah, I'm so glad you did that. And for all the listeners, Ron Deal is going to be a guest next week or the week after. So you can listen uh, for more wisdom for blended families. Thanks for sharing your heart. Thanks for uh, your your wisdom. Thanks for sharing the faith perspective. And, and just to wrap up on the faith note, Dr. Chapman, how can faith, how can we nurture faith in a way that really sees us through crisis, sees us through this pandemic? 
so that we come out the other side closer to Jesus, closer to our family? How does faith play and what can we do? You know, I think our relationship with God has an awful lot to do with how we respond. If we realize that we have been forgiven by God, it's far easier for us to forgive other people who hurt us. And if we understand and experience the love of God, that he loves us in spite of all of our failures, we are more empowered to love someone who is not very lovely. You know, the scriptures say the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this by ourselves. And love starts with an attitude, not a feeling, an attitude. And the attitude is, I want to enrich the life of the other person. I want to help them become the person that they are designed to be. And, And that's the attitude Christ had. He came for us. You know, he didn't come for himself. He came for us. And so if we have the attitude of giving our lives in service to others, we're going to have good relationships. That doesn't mean everybody will respond to you, but you're going to have good relationships in the family. Hmm. So as as we wrap up, I would just like to ask you if you would if you would be willing to offer a prayer for the families in our two countries, but also around the world. There are just so many. Uh, there are so many sick people. There are so many scared people. There are so many scared sick people and families in our world. And we would just love for you to pray over them as a pastor, if you'd be so I'd kind. love to. Father, you know what we're talking about, and you know what is going on in my country and in Canada and around the world. You know the hurt. You know the stress. You know the fractured relationships. I do pray that your spirit will be super, super active in these days, touching the hearts of your children, first of all, those who know you, who've committed themselves to Christ, and giving them a vision of how these days can be positive and practical and helpful, both in their own personal growth and in ministering to others in the family and out of the family. And then I pray for those who maybe have never come to the place where they have committed themselves to you and and call you Father. And I pray, Father, that you would, by your love, Mm -hmm. touch their hearts and draw them to yourself and let them know that whatever is happening in this world, you are there for them and you want to have a relationship with them. And I pray you'll just draw them to yourself, that they will call out to you and they will ask for your help and your guidance in their lives and come to know you in a personal way. And so, Father, uh, you alone can change human hearts. And that's what we ask for. Give those of us who are your children, not because we're wonderful, but because of your wonderful grace and mercy to us. Let us be and give us wisdom on how to be your instruments in this generation, your voice, your hands, your feet, reaching out to do everything we can to help others who may be struggling more than we are. So guide us, I pray, by your spirit, in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Dr. Chapman, thank you so much. It's just such an encouragement to us, and we hope to all of our listeners. But thank you for spending time with us. And please be safe. You will be in our prayers as well. Okay, I appreciate it. And you guys keep up the good work. We will. Is family life going well in Canada now? Going very well. Although we had to cancel all of our live events, as you might expect. Oh, yeah. And so we're learning how to do things in, in new ways. And this is one of yeah. those ways. So thank you. 
And thank you for all of you for being with us. And there's a link uh, if you'd like to take the free assessment on the five love languages, the five love languages for children, the five love languages for teenagers. And if you'd like more information about any of the books we've spoken about today, they will be at familylifecanada.live. Thank you again. We'll see you next time. God bless you.